All right, well, let's get your Bible out. And uh, if you didn't bring one, there's one uh, provided for you. And open it up to the book of 1 Peter, 1 Peter chapter 1. And uh, while you're turning there, let me just remind you that Easter is just two weeks away now. It's the Easter countdown. And uh, two weeks away till Easter. And so start thinking now about who you can invite and bring. You know, how great would it be if everybody here invited somebody to join them on Easter Sunday? Uh, There's somebody you know that needs to hear the gospel, somebody you know that needs an encouragement uh, spiritually. So why don't you invite them uh, to one of those services? We have several provided for you. And let's uh, make Easter a great day of reaching out to people around us, all right? Easter is a great time for that. All right, Uh, 1 Peter chapter 1. And uh, we are in our series on grace. And really, we've been looking at the, what the Scripture calls the multifaceted grace of God. That God, God's grace has got lots of angles to it. Uh, like a diamond, if you hold a diamond up and you turn it, you see something different in it. The multifaceted uh, angles of the diamond. In the same way, grace is kind of like that. We've already seen that in some ways, grace is about our past. That grace is about... The sin that we've done and how God through Christ has erased our past and made us right with God. So some says grace is about our past. In other ways, grace is about our present because it's God's grace that sustains us when we're hurting, when we need uh, assurance, when we need a grace in our time of need. It's God's grace that sustains us now. But there is also another element and that is the future. That God's grace is a future grace. And that's what we're going to talk about today. God's grace, God's future grace. So look at it with me. 1 Peter chapter 1. We're going to just dive right into God's word. 1 Peter chapter 1, beginning of verse 3. This is the word of God. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope. Through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. And to an inheritance that is imperishable undefiled and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power is being guarded through faith for a salvation, ready to be revealed at the last time. Now, just circle the word right there, inheritance. Inheritance, that's kind of a key word in this passage. Everything kind of revolves around that word, inheritance. Now, Peter is writing to Christians who were scattered out through Asia Minor, modern-day Turkey, and they've been persecuted for their faith. In fact, if you follow the Morning Thrive, that daily devotion that I do every week, uh, this week we're going to talk about the persecuted church and how can we help brothers and sisters in Christ that are being persecuted. Well, that's what Peter is doing here. He's talking to all the, the persecuted Christians, and he's trying to encourage them. And so what he tells them is, hey, I know it's really hard right now, but I want to remind you that beyond the hardship right now, there is an inheritance that's waiting for you. Just like the Israelites, man, they were kind of slowing down the wilderness. Man, it was hard. It was difficult. But they knew they could keep going because they were moving toward an inheritance that waited for them. And so listen, he's talking about our inheritance. Now, when you hear the word inheritance... Uh, some things immediately come to your mind, right? Some of you are praying for an inheritance, right? <laughs> yeah, Lord, bring me some rich uncle that wants to leave me an inheritance, right? Uh, or, or maybe you have, uh, you're, you're going to leave an inheritance and you're thinking about how you leave your inheritance to your children or grandchildren, all right? We all have this image in mind. 
You know, every time my parents start packing, I say, where are you, where are you doing? They say, we're going to spend your inheritance, all right? They're going on some other cruise or something. I'm like, thanks, Mom and Dad. Um, you know, several years ago, Liz and I were the executors of her grandfather's will, and he left us, as part of our inheritance, some land in West Texas. Now, I was thinking land in West Texas equals, you know, oil rigs all over the place. It's going to be awesome. We're, we're cashing in. This is our time. Come to find out, it was a little bitty piece of land in Kitty Quay, Texas. If anybody knows where that is, 100 bucks coming to you if you know where Kitty uh, I was just joking about the 100 bucks, but sorry. Sorry about that. But anyway, Kitty Quay, yeah. It's, it's out in the middle of nowhere, man. It's nowhere. Come to find out, they don't have mineral rights. It was this little bitty piece of land out in the nowhere place. I mean, it was worthless, all right? It was worthless. Now, when God talks about his inheritance for you, he's not talking about that. He's talking about something greater, something more eternal, something more satisfying. He's talking about heaven. He's talking about heaven. I love what Colossians chapter 3 says. It says this, uh, think about the things of heaven, not the things of earth. You know, we spend so much time thinking about the things of earth. Right, planning for what we're going to do tomorrow and next year and in the future and how are our kids doing and, and how's my career doing and where will we live and what will we do when we retire and all those things. We spend so much time thinking about the earth that we don't think about what's beyond that. We don't think about heaven. In fact, the best thing you can think is to think about heaven. The greatest thoughts you can think are about heaven and what God has. But the most encouraging thing you can do is to think that beyond what I'm dealing with now, there is heaven awaiting me. And heaven has encouraged and built up and inspired Christians from every generation when they thought about heaven. In fact, C.S. Lewis put it this way. He said the Christians who did the most for the present world were precisely those who thought the most about the next. So I want us today to think about heaven. Just set aside the worries of today for a moment and just set your mind on the inheritance that awaits you in heaven. And I'm going to try to answer a few questions about heaven, uh, questions that most people have. You know, a lot of folks are saying, well, what is heaven like? What is heaven like? That's the first question. What is heaven like? And, and uh, you know, we, by the way, you and I have never been to heaven, so we don't really know what heaven is like. Uh, I, I appreciate the person that says, I died and spent seven minutes in heaven or three minutes in hell or whatever, what, two minutes in purgatory, whatever, whatever they spend. I appreciate their little book, but, but all that we need to know about heaven is right here. All right, God's already written the book, and everything you need to know about heaven is here. And by the way, this book is full of descriptions about heaven. And one of the things we learn in this book is that heaven is a real place. That's the first thing. Heaven is a real place. In fact, Jesus said in John 14, I go to prepare a place for you. Heaven is a real place with real people uh, doing real things. And so we say, well, what, what, what is this place like? You know, everybody's got their vision of heaven. You know, some people say, well, I think heaven is going to be, you know, uh, uh, right on the golf course where I hit a hole in one every time. You know, or I think of heaven as, as being on the beach. Or I think of heaven as floating around in clouds with, with white robes on and a little cockeyed halo and strumming a harp, you know. Some people say, I think of heaven as like an eternal worship service. And other people go, oh, no. You know, I can barely get through an hour. I can't imagine eternity in heaven, all right? What is heaven going to be like? Well, the Bible gives us these little snapshots, these little word pictures to describe what heaven is like. 
For example, the first one is the Bible says heaven is like a walled garden of a king. A walled garden of a king. Jesus said to the thief on the cross as he was dying, he said, today you will be with me in what? In paradise, right. And in 2 Corinthians 12, verse 4, the apostle Paul is talking about when he was caught up into the third heaven and he said, I was taken to paradise. Now the word paradise literally means the garden of a king. Like a king would have a wonderful palace, and in that palace he would have beautiful flowers and gardens and arrangements and landscapes that could take your breath away. And he said, that's what heaven is like. Liz and I, about a year ago, back in January, last January, uh, we went to Colorado Springs, and we went to the Broadmoor Hotel. Some of you stayed at the Broadmoor Hotel. And I mean, it's beautiful. It was constructed in 1918, and at at the time it was the most elaborate uh, hotel anywhere in that part of the country. And still today, we went out, we looked at the beautiful landscape, we saw the mountain ranges, we saw the flowers, walked over the bridge, the reflecting pools. I mean, it was beautiful, even still today. And and he said, you know what, that's kind of, it's, Paul's saying, you know, it's kind of like that. You know, heaven is kind of like that. It's like this lush garden, this beautiful landscape, these mountain ranges, these reflective uh, rivers and lakes. It's, It's all that you imagine and more than you imagine. That's what heaven is like. It's like a garden, a beautiful, unimaginable garden. In fact, second thing, word picture he gives us is this, that it's like a city. Hebrews 11 verse 10 says, it is the city with foundations whose foundation and architect and builder is God. So in other words, every city's got an architect, right, kind of lays it out, and they have others that are builders that actually bring it to bear. But this city of heaven, actually the architect who designed it all and the builder who built it all is God. That he built it all. He built a city in heaven. In fact, that city has a name. It's called the New Jerusalem. In Revelation 21, you can actually read. By the way, I don't have time to get to it today, but you can do your homework assignment. Read Revelation 21, and you'll see a description of the new heaven and what it's like when it comes down on the earth and, and the streets, what they're like, and the, and the borders, what it's like, and the dimensions of, of this great and glorious city. You know, every city has got its attractions, right? Every city's got it. If you go to, you got to Rome, it's Colosseum. You go to Paris, it's Eiffel Tower. If you go to, uh, you know, if you go to LA, it's the Chinese Theater. If you got to go to New York City, it's the One World uh, Trade Center or, or maybe uh, something like that. But, but listen, when you get to heaven, there'll be its own attractions. There'll be, the, oh man, you got to be sure you take in this and this and this and this and this. You got to be sure you see that. You got to see that. And, and even in a city, every time you go to a city, a big city, there's, there's shops and there's restaurants and there's people and there's things to do. It's, you know, they always say that New York is a city that never sleeps. And they, they ain't got nothing on heaven. And, you know, they, it's always busy and always full of life and always something to do and always something to eat and something to take in. All of that is wrapped up in heaven. It's a great city. The Bible also say that it's also a, a country. It's, a, a, it's, a, a, it's like a country. Hebrews eleven sixteen said the saints of old were looking forward to, quote, a better country, end quote. You know, we live in a country now, and we have borders, and we have rules, and we have leadership. We have a country. We are citizens of the United States of America, and we have a country. But, but we are also dual citizens of another country. 
And you and I, if you're in Christ, you are a citizen of heaven. In fact, that's what Paul said in Philippians chapter 3, verse 20. He said, but our citizenship is in heaven. And we eagerly await a Savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ. And listen, if you know Christ, I want you to get your mind wrapped around this. If you know Christ, your name is right now written in heaven's registry. I mean, if you're going to look and say, who are the citizens of our country? You can find some kind of list of documentation that they are a citizen. Well, there is documentation in heaven in the book of life. Your name is written in the moment you come to Christ. And so your name is written in heaven. And we live with one foot in this country, but one foot in another country. We are dual citizenship. And now we, we represent our heavenly nation while we live here on the earth. So heaven is a country you know, in many ways, when you think about these word pictures, what heaven is like, it's kind of like what we know. It's like a beautiful garden. It's like a bustling city. It's like a bordered country. So it's kind of like what we know. But in other ways, it's not like anything that we know. It's completely beyond what we know. Back to 1 Peter uh, chapter 1, verse 4, it's an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading. Did you get that? So unlike this world, this world disappoints us. This world corrodes and it fades and it, and it decomposes. It falls apart. Everything that we make that's beautiful, everything that we see that's beautiful is one day going to fade away. It's fading away. But heaven is not fading away. You know, as I was thinking about the Winter Olympics that just happened last month, we, all eyes were... Um, in Korea, right? And everybody was watching what was happening there and everyone was so marveling at the, at the, at the Olympic Village and all that they built and they constructed and how beautiful it was. And all, remember, remember all those hovering drones that created all that crazy stuff up in the sky? Everybody was like, wow, how cool is that? Well, you know, back in 1984, there was an Olympic Village in Sarajevo, Bosnia. And all eyes were watching the Winter Olympics there. And everyone was marveling at how great it was and how wonderful it was and what the athletes accomplished. But if you go to Sarajevo, Bosnia today and you were to visit the Olympic Village, it would look like this. It's dilapidated. It's corroded. It's graffitied. It's fallen apart. What man created to be put on display for the world to see is falling apart. And listen, that's what our world is like. The best we can do fades. The best we have is corroded, it rusts, it's decaying. But what Jesus said is that heaven is not like that. Heaven doesn't spoil, it doesn't corrode, it doesn't fade away, it doesn't go out of style. You don't have to fix it up, prop it up, uh, redo it. Uh, remodel. You don't have to update in heaven. Everything is updated and will stay updated, right? And it's all good. In fact, Jesus talked about that. He said, store up your treasure in heaven where moth and rust do not destroy, where thieves don't break in and steal. See, heaven is protected. Look at what Peter says. It is imperishable. In other words, it's not going to fall away. It's not going to perish. It is undefiled. There's nothing wrong or nothing bad about it. And it is unfading. It will always be. If it's a garden spot, it's a perfect garden without any, any poison ivy in it or dangerous animals that could come get you. If it's a city, it's a city without graffitied walls and without crime in the streets. If it's a, if it's a country, it's, it's a country that's strong and stable without any chaos or corruption. That's 
heaven. It's everything as it should be. It's everything as it should be. That's what heaven is like. It's your inheritance. You know, I was reminded this, of a story this week about a, a man who was starting a new business at a new location, and he got a, a bouquet of flowers. And as he opened up the card, it said, rest in peace. And he was like, well, that's kind of a weird card to send for a, a opening a new business. And so uh, he called the florist. He said, I think there's something wrong here. I got a bouquet of flowers. And it said, rest in peace. And she did a little research. She go, oh, my goodness, you're right. Somehow yours got switched with another he said, well, just think of it this way. Somewhere there's a funeral, and they got flowers, and the card says, congratulations on your new location. <laughs> so, you know, that's what heaven is like. We're just going to our new location. And by the way, folks, it's a whole lot better than here. You know, we, we white-knuckle what we have down here, and it's fading away, and it's not that great anyway, and God's got so much better. That's why in 1 Corinthians he said, no eye is seen, no ear is heard. No, your mind hasn't even conceived what God has prepared for you. Isn't that good? That's your inheritance. That's in heaven. Now, so here's another question. Well, who's going to be in heaven? Well, if that's what it's like, then who's going to be there? So there are several people going to be there. You need to know it. Uh, first is God's going to be there, obviously. God is going to be in heaven. While God is everywhere, he is omnipresent, that is present everywhere, uh, God will especially be present in heaven. In fact, the Bible says that in heaven, he makes his dwelling place in heaven. Jesus said, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. There will actually be a tabernacle, a sanctuary in heaven where God dwells. And that became the pattern for the tabernacle that was on earth. This was just a shadow of the reality in heaven. So God will be in heaven. There won't be a sun or moon because God will be the light and he will light up all of heaven. So God will be there, God with man in our midst, God with us, Emmanuel. God will be in heaven. Also, Christ will be in heaven. It was Jesus that left heaven to come to earth. And when he ascended from earth, he went back to heaven. He's at the right hand of the Father in heaven, even, even now interceding for you and for me. And by the way, he's coming back to earth from heaven to rule and to reign. So Christ is in heaven. Can you imagine when you get to heaven, you are going to actually see Jesus? And by the way, it's not going to be like if you go uh, to Rome and you might get to spot the Pope up in the top right-hand corner, you know, real far at the distance, the guy with the white robe on. No, it's not like that. You're going to get to see him face to face. I saw a painting this week, and it really captured this idea. It's called Your First Day in Heaven. And that's what it's going to be like for you to see Jesus who loved you, who saved you, who cares for you, who walked with you all through this life and will walk with you through the next. Not only will Jesus be in heaven, but other believers will be in heaven, people who have gone before you, people that are, are saints of old that have gone to heaven, people that you know that are enjoying heaven even now. And you may say, well, am I going to recognize my family in heaven? Will I see and know my family in heaven? Well, yes, you will. Absolutely, because the Bible says in 1 Corinthians 13 too, that now we see things imperfectly like puzzling reflections in a mirror, but then we will see everything with perfect clarity. In other words, you're not gonna know less in heaven, you're gonna know more in heaven. What we know now in, in shifting shadows, uh, in heaven it will be in high definition. 
And so you're going to know more in heaven. You're going to understand people greater in heaven. And all the stuff that gives us friction down on this earth is going to be gone. And there'll be hope and reunion and peace and restoration in heaven. So we're going to know our our family members that go before us. You know, uh, many of you know, and I've said before, that Liz and I had triplets that passed away uh, many years ago, over 24 years ago. And they're buried over in uh, Blue Bonnet. And uh, we drive by there uh, throughout the year. I have to tell you, there's not probably a week or two that goes by that I don't wonder. wonder what they're doing. You know, wonder what, what they're up to today, what they're getting into today. Uh, wonder what they're like. wonder how much they're like their mom and how much they're like me, all right? But there's going to be a day when I'm going to hug their neck. And I'm going to... I'm going to kiss her face, and we're going to hang out together. And you know what? This world is so short. Our time on here is so short, but heaven is forever, right? So we're going to get to spend forever together, and we're going to get to know each other and do all kinds of crazy stuff together in heaven. Now, listen, you're like that too. You probably have somebody dear to you that's already in heaven. You've got grandmas and grandpas in heaven. You've got moms and dads in heaven. Some of you have sons and daughters in heaven. Some of you have brothers and sisters in heaven. And you long to see them. In fact, if you've got somebody in heaven, just raise up your hand as a testimony that you've got somebody waiting for you in heaven. Yeah. And so when you get to heaven, we're all going to get to see them again. A great reunion that's waiting for us. I remember going to a family member that lost a grandfather this week. I went to their home and and as I walked in the door, the first thing they said is, man, I'm jealous because grandpa's in heaven. And he gets to be with mom and dad. And he gets to be with all our other ones that have gone before. And one day, they're, they're going to welcome us in. That's the inheritance that you have. You're gonna, uh, your family's going to be in heaven. But also, you're going to be in heaven if you know Christ. Now, that's an amen, right? You're going to be in heaven. And you're going to have a new body in heaven. Isn't that a good thing? Yeah, absolutely. That's a really good thing. A new body uh, in heaven. In fact, 1 Corinthians 15, 43 says, our bodies now disappoint us. Isn't that the truth, right? But when they are raised, they will be full of glory. Now we are weak, but when they are raised, they will be full of power. We're going to be new in heaven. I, I posted on earlier this week on Facebook a question, what are you looking forward to most about heaven? I got over 115 different responses of you, many of you just giving me what you're looking forward to in heaven. It was great to read all of these. And I don't have time to share a lot of them, but I'll give a couple of them to you. One of them said, uh, I'm looking forward to a big hug from Jesus and everlasting peace. Another one said, never having to say goodbye again. That was good. Uh, my sister who's deaf, who was born deaf, she said, being able to hear beautiful sounds and Jesus' voice. But uh, one of my favorites said this, I'll be transparent. Being skinny again without having to work out sounds pretty good. <laughs> yeah, so you're going to have a new body in heaven. Now, now don't get me wrong. I'm not saying you're all going to be bodybuilders and supermodels when you get to heaven. I mean, you're going to be you, right? You're going to be you, but you're going to be the best you you've ever been. You're going to be the best you you could possibly be. Think about Jesus in his resurrected body. I mean, they recognized him. He ate, he talked, he sat with them, he had conversation. You're going to have just that. You're going to recognize the people around you. And you're going to be fully alive as you've never been before. But you're going to be the best you you've ever been. You're going to be the you you were meant to be. 
All of that is in heaven. So we say, well, okay, this is what heaven is like, and this is who is in heaven. Then what are we going to do in heaven? I mean, are we just going to float around in clouds? Are we just going to eternally uh, share Bible verses? Or what are we going to do in heaven? Well, let me give you a couple of things. Jot these down. First thing, there'll be work to do in heaven. You'll have work to do in heaven. It, just as Adam worked in the garden and he was assigned God, by God things to do uh, on, in that perfect place, the Garden of Eden, we will have work to do in heaven. And your work assignment will be assigned to you based on your giftedness and based on your experience on the earth and based on your faithfulness. You know, Jesus said, if you're faithful in small things, I will make you faithful in larger things. And in 2 Timothy 2.12, he says, we will reign with Christ. So underneath the rulership of Christ, you will be assigned certain things to do in heaven so that you live out your full potential completely without the resistance and strain of sin in your life. So there'll be work to be to be done in heaven. Secondly, there, there's going to be a, a catching up to do in heaven. There's going to be a lot of catching up to do uh, in heaven. I love Matthew 8 verse 11 says, I say to you that many will come from the east and the west and will take their places at the feast of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. Now, can you imagine that? That heaven's going to be a great feast I don't know, I picture this big long table. I don't know how it's gonna all happen, but it's gonna be a great banquet hall and everybody's gonna be there and you're gonna be feasting and eating and catching up with David. Can you imagine, David, what was it like when you faced off Goliath, you know? Or Daniel, what was it like in the lion's den? Or Moses, what were you thinking when you rose up that rod and the, the Red Sea parted? I mean, how crazy is that? To have conversations with those who have gone before. And they're gonna look at you and say, what was it like in the year 2000? And how did you trust God? And what did God do in your life? See, all this catching up to do, we're going to have in heaven. Not only that, there's going to be, of course, worship in heaven. In fact, in John's vision, he said this, Then I heard something like a voice of a great multitude, and like the sound of many waters, and like the sound of mighty peals of thunder, saying, Hallelujah, for the Lord our God, the Almighty, reigns. I love that. I mean, it's a picture of worship in heaven. And, and I don't really know what this is going to be like. I don't know how it's going to work together, none of us know. This is part of the mystery of God. But I wonder if, now this is just my idea, I wonder if maybe God will send us out across the universe to do different things as he has assigned us to do, to rule and reign as he calls us to do. But then certain times of the year, everyone will come together back in the New Jerusalem. That's what happened in the Old Testament, right? They scattered around the land, but then they would gather for certain celebrations throughout the year in the holy city. And there they would worship God. I mean, can you imagine you're off doing this, that, but then you all come and together in the holy New Jerusalem and there you celebrate, and Christ is there, and the angels are rocking it, and we're all together, and we're eating, and we're hanging out, and we're celebrating. And I just think that's what heaven's going to be like. There's going to be a lot of rejoicing in heaven. There's going to be things to do in heaven. There's going to be catching up to do in heaven. But listen, I, I, want you, I want you to get this. I believe in heaven. We will be the proof that God is a God of grace when we get to heaven. I want you to think about that for just a minute. We're going to be the proof that God is a God of grace when we get to heaven. You say, well, Craig, what do you mean by that? 
Well, just let me read to you. Ephesians chapter 2. We're talking about grace, right? Grace series. Check this out. He said, he raised us in him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in his kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. Do you get that? In other words, when we get to heaven, everyone is going to marvel that God's grace was shown toward us. I think angels are going to just look at us and go, Jesus, I still don't get it. I mean, you died for them. You, the king of kings, you suffered and died for these people, these, these wicked people. I mean, you died. I just don't quite get that. You are certainly a God of grace. I think, I think angels will shake their heads. I think maybe, and again, this is not in the Bible, so this is just in Craig's imagination, but I think maybe when we're worshiping one time and the throngs of angels and everyone is worshiping God, I think maybe there will be a time when Jesus will steal the crowd and say, I just want to hear the one sing that I poured my grace on. And we'll sing. And the angels will stand back and marvel how God poured his grace out on us. Maybe in heaven we'll be known as the grace ones because God put us on display as a trophy of his goodness and his grace. Listen, grace, yes, it's about your past and how God's forgiven you. And it's about your present. It's about him sustaining you now. But grace is a future grace. And we haven't even understood grace yet as we will understand it in heaven. So that kind of begs the question, how do you get to heaven? And that gets us all the way back to 1 Peter chapter 1. Look at it again. Verse 3. He said, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Our inheritance comes from our Father. He says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus. Get that? So the Father is the one that gives the inheritance to his children. And he says, Those that receive the inheritance from the Father have to be born again into God's family, into a living hope. You say, Well, what does it mean to be born again? A lot of baggage with the word. Oh, you one of those born again Christians? I'm, I'm a Christian. I'm just not one of those born again. You know, it's a word that Jesus used. And really what born again means is simply this. Just as you were born physically into a physical family, in the same way, you must be born spiritually into God's spiritual family. And that happens at a point in time. Just you have a birth certificate that stands the date, the time, the place. When you came into this world, there is a date, time, and place when you were born again into God's family. And that happens through faith. That happens in the moment you realize the gospel and you, and you turn your heart to Christ you, and you cry out to him and you ask him to forgive you, to come into your life, you turn from your sin, you place your hope in Jesus. That's the moment you're born again. Nicodemus came to Jesus at night. Nicodemus was a wealthy man. He was a religious man. He was a prosperous man. He was a moral good man. He had all these things going on. But when he came to Jesus, Jesus looked at him and he said, Nicodemus, you must be born again. Now listen, there are only a few things you must do. You must eat or you will die. You must breathe or you will perish. You must have liquids or you can't sustain life. And he said, you must be born again. He said, Nicodemus, it's not enough for you to be moral. He was more moral than anybody here. 
It's not enough for you to be religious. He was very religious. It's not enough for you to know Bible facts or to believe in God. He had all those things down. But what he did not have was a born-again moment of repentance and faith. And listen, my friends, you must be born again into God's family in order to gain God's inheritance. So this is where the grace of future comes right into our world, right here, right now, that you receive grace in salvation, and that grace sustains you until it takes you home. So have you given your life to Christ like that? 